Hello and welcome to the weekly VM Campos Comic Book Club. I'm your host, VM Campos. This is a podcast where I review a comic book new or old from my collection and rate it on the factors of the cover art, interior art, plot, and enjoyability of the book on a scale of 1 to 5. And then I tell you to get it or shred it. This week I'm reviewing Jim Silkey's Rascals in Paradise number 1 of 3 published in 1994 by Dark Horse Comics. For the video version of the podcast, head on over to youtube.com slash and consider pledging at the Patreon, patreon.com slash Now let's check out the book. All right, so a quick browse as I tell you a little bit of behind-the-scenes info. Jim Silkey is a comic book artist born in 1931, but before being a comic book artist, he was also a photographer, a designer, a writer, and more. He was influenced by Dave Stevens, according to the book here, to create his own comic, as well as Milton Caniff. Is that Caniff or Caniff? Caniff? I've heard it different ways. And as we will get to in details in a moment, this is realism in a cartoony style with very cool panel layouts well-defined characters, expressions, a visually beautiful book to look at, a story that is a combination of familiar comic book and pulp magazine tropes, all put together in a very large format. Now, this was $3.95 back in 1994. I'll do the conversion right up over here. And finding your own copies of these books is not too complicated over on the bay. Overall, the book was very enjoyable with a couple of speed bumps here and there. I'll talk about that soon enough. But let's get into detail on Rascals in Paradise. All right, cover art. We have this beautiful painterly style. I'm not exactly sure what the material is. It might be some painting. We have these blended colors after all, soft pastel looks. So we've got the main character, Doreen Spicy Sanders. Here she is on some alien planet looking place with this big old gun, a dead guy that was no match for her and a cocksure expression and pose. It's a very striking cover, I'd say. These cool blue tones of the background, stark white, and then her softer earth tones are a good contrast. I really like the logo. It's very simple, but it's got that vintage font. So don't tell me that this isn't a cover that stands out among the seas of other covers for various reasons. And even that logo should catch your attention. This covers a five out of five because it's expertly rendered and eye-catching. Now, interestingly, we've got a date of 1992 when this cover was created and this book was released in 1994. And in the back, we have a text piece about taking a long time to actually create the comic. So just kind of interesting behind-the-scenes stuff. Interior art. All right, so the first thing we see is this ad for the SXP38 Blaster. There's a couple of these sort of put-you-into-the-world bits of lore that I appreciate. And then the art, yeah, this art is epic. We've got a full-page setup about the world with something very interesting there in the prologue, setting on a jungle planet, expertly rendered characters and anatomy, really cool panel layouts. Actually, one thing here, uh, this foreshortening is a little weird. Sergeant Stringfellow's face is perfect, but that, that foreshortening there is a, a little weird. But there's a lot of interesting panel layouts, a variety of characters, a lot of reliance on sound effects and fonts that really stand out. 
I could very easily give this a 5 out of 5, but I'm going to give it a 4.75 out of 5. And that is mostly because of this bit of over-reliance on exaggerated text. I know for emphasis, we want to say, stop! And the word stands out very big there. And then for emphasis, Jane! And for emphasis, I! And regiment! But the problem with emphasis is when you overemphasize the emphasis, then nothing is emphasized. And it's very over the top as you start to go through the book. Pretty unnecessary, actually. Every page, every panel has some word or words that are just overemphasized. And maybe Silky is trying to just really have mannerisms in speech. But I think that's very distracting. Obviously, there's many other things to look at, and the exaggerated fonts do look good in other places, like when they're sound effects. I think they work there very well, but that's a little ding. What's fun is also we have these aspects of pure cartooniness in a very realistic art style, and you might like it, you might not. Now here we've got these sort of uh, speed lines of to guide your eye, and maybe that's too cartoony for such a realistically rendered panel. I think it works, though. I like that contrast. So yeah, interior art is very, very good panel layout. Perhaps that's a little ding, too. There's too many panel layouts. Every page is also visually very interesting, very well rendered, very flourished everywhere. That might be a bit distracting. So we got a circular panel here, a weird shape over here, another curved shape there with some squares, an open panel over here. That might be a bit extravagant, a bit indulgent, but overall the art, it leans very realistic with some cartooniness. Plot. Okay, I got to read this first part at the beginning here. This is very interesting. As we've been browsing the book, you might think, okay, this is taking place in, you know, old times, pulp magazine era, 1930s or whatever. And you're half right at the very beginning here. In 2362 AD, so okay, this book takes place in 2362, more than 300 years in the future, the leaders of the nostalgia-hungry civilized planets decided to create a resort planet on the frontiers of the universe, a duplicate of Earth in 1932. But the mother computer fouled up and covered all the land masses with tropical jungles or desert wilderness, peopled only by the remnants of ancient and prehistoric kingdoms, plus a few vintage 1932 tribes and villages. As the planet was only fit for desperate junk merchants and adventurers, it was named Trash Nine. And all but forgotten, that was 70 years ago. So the book takes place, the main story takes place in 2432. But it's on a constructed planet, a copy of Earth, circa 1930s, but improperly terraformed and the like. So it's a wonderful pastiche of the time. If you hadn't read that original part, you'd think, yeah, this is your classic 1930s men's magazine pulp adventures and so forth. And even if you don't know that, that'd be fine. The, it still works. Although then you'd start to see some high-tech things here or there, like when Spicy's flying around on her jetpack later on over here, and some of these guns don't look quite 1930s. So keep that in mind. This is taking place in the year 2432. So that's an interesting plot point. And yeah, so it's a big old romp. It's an adventure. There's rugged men, curvy ladies, wild savages, poachers and adventurers and the like, and some big old mystery happening. Now I have to give the plot a four 
out of five, knock it down a little bit, because it is, it is a little bit kind of all over the place, because we have this character that was kidnapped at the very beginning, unfortunately, yes, because of the time, not, no, not 1930s, but the 1990s, uh, there is a, there is a lot of, uh, male aggression in many of the aspects here, and you would say, yeah, but that's how it was back then. What do you mean back then? This is taking place in the future, which is a pastiche of the past, of a comic book created in the 90s, so don't hide behind that argument. And so we also had the usage of those savages emerging from the jungle. That was passe back in the 90s, and it's passe 30 years hence of that. You can tell Silky is an old-school writer, because he's holding on to those outdated terms and concepts. But it all adds up to be a big old romp, lots of action, lots of adventure, and it leaves you wanting more in the next issues. There's a text piece about the creation of this book. Pause it, read that on your own, to get a better understanding of where the book is coming from, to understand its pastiche, and to have you decide if you want to go on to issues two and three after seeing this starting point. And finally, enjoyability, I'll give this a four and a half out of five. I love the art. Silky's rendering is just amazing. As we've browsed it, we've obviously seen a lot of gratuitous artwork here and there. The introduction of Nefer has to be, of course, with as little clothing as possible. Jane Frisco Fire is a little bit more chaste in her introduction. And then Spicy as well is introduced as she gets to the place on Airbus and then she has to put on her body armor, which will make more sense later on. But she proves herself capable when the going gets rough. So should you get it or shred it? Get it. Jim Silkey's art is amazing. Very well rendered. Very imaginative. You saw those panel layouts. You saw the anatomy, the expressions, the world he created. Very enjoyable. And that was Rascals in Paradise number one. Published by Dark Horse Comics. What did you think? Did you enjoy the dangerous ladies? The pulp adventure? The artwork? The cliffhanger ending? Did you enjoy Mr. Silky's take on the feminine form? Or his rough and tumble manly men? Tell me in the comments. Are you going to look for your own copies on eBay? Tell me that too. Once again, for the video version of the podcast, head on over to youtube.com slash vmcampos. And if you want to help out in all my endeavors... Then go to patreon.com slash vmcampos. Pledge for $3.33 a month. What a deal. Keep the channel funded, keep it going, and be a part of it. If you can't quite pledge at the moment, no worries. Simply like, comment, share, subscribe. Do all that good stuff. I really appreciate it. And let me know what you thought about this week's episode. So once again, this week I reviewed Jim Silkey's Rascals in Paradise, number one of three, published in 1994 by Dark Horse Comics. This has been the weekly VM Campus Comic Book Club, and I'll see you next week.